Hi, everybody out there. Today we have to start with a very, very important warning. This podcast is sure to contain both of us doing extremely bad Arnold Schwarzenegger accents at least once each. So Yeah, we're going to try. <laughs> we're going to try. Hey, I'm Tyler. I'm Danny. And this is episode 151 of Fried Squirms. End of days. Woo! I'll tell you what. When we cover some of these movies, I'm really glad we smoke weed. <laughs> yeah, you're not kidding, right? <laughs> Speaking of which, should we like get this really going and maybe do our green hits? Yeah, I'm totally down. Let's see. I got some Jack H today. Jack Herrera, named after the marijuana activist, hybrid, sativa dominant. This is actually not just like straight Jack H. It's some offshoot Jack H, I believe. I think it's some offshoot... It might just be straight up Jack H. Either way, I think this one's a little bit more sativa than some of the other Jack H's that you might run across, but it's still it's nice. still in that that little zone. Yeah, Jack uh, H get is... us nice and energized. Yeah, so it's a, definitely a favorite in terms of the uh, the sativa varieties. One of my favorites. Yeah, I really enjoy it. So what I brought more or less the same what I've been bringing the last couple of weeks, but I did bring a king sized and just a regular one and a quarter size joint of some cocoa puffs. So that's the last little batch of that I have. And then sometime next week, I'll be bringing some more stuff in. But yeah, that one is definitely an indica-dominant hybrid. So that's going to be used a little bit later on from when we get into the Schwarzenegger mm-hmm. <laughs> accents. And I'll make it even funnier. But yeah, dude, I do like the Jack H a lot. I'm not going to lie. And your strain today smelled really lemony, which is kind of its known terpene profile. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I really enjoy it. Good up high. I'll go for it. Man, I'm glad you learned how to roll, because I can't roll for shit. <laughs> and these J's during the fucking How's It Make You Squill have been really nice the past few episodes, so... Not that I don't love the fucking Firefly that you're sucking on right now, but... Going old school is sometimes nice, too. I'm right there with you, too. It's it's nice to definitely vape. I mean, it, we kind of get spoiled doing that. But then sometimes you're right. It's nice to go back to what we know, whether it's in bowl form, bong form, and in this case, some joint forms. Dude, I've been hitting the bong quite a bit this week. It's been weird. I don't know what came over me, but I'm like, you know what? It's been a bit since I like hit my bong on a regular basis. It's nice. been mostly my firefly, partially because I don't go through hardly you know, half as much oh, weed man. that way. Yeah, it's so nice. So I've been going through a lot of fucking weed this week, but it's been kind of worth it because I haven't used the bong too much lately. It's been kind of nice to go back to the old school, just fucking rip a big fat bong load and then <laughs> play some fucking video games. Yeah, so. man. Got all goofy high. I like that. Yeah, rip, I, rip a big fat bong load and watch fucking Arnie shoot at the fucking do his devil. Thing. <laughs> yeah, it definitely makes it fun, man. Now, part of the reason, too, I wanted to learn how to roll a joint is for the simple fact, like, I don't know how to. Well, I do know, but... I didn't really know too well how to do it, and uh, now I feel pretty comfortable, my man. So, whether it's on the go with a vaporizer or if I need to roll a joint, I know I can. So, pretty happy with that. And I can't roll for shit, but I'll tell you what, I'll make you a fucking can pipe all day long. <laughs> Hell yeah, boy. <laughs> like I said, we know where our roots are at, and it's always nice and fun to revisit them. So, yeah, I'm all for it. No matter which form you decide to smoke in, just make sure you're uh, doing it safe. And uh, make sure you're having fun doing it. Fuck yeah. Well, we're going to just continue hitting this. But while we do that, let's get in the guts and bolts of end of days. Guts and bolts. All right. 
Guts and Bolts. End of Days, 1999. Arnold Schwarzenegger. Yeah. Synopsis to start off this little segment, I suppose, would be um, a baby is born in 1979 who's destined to be the mother of the Antichrist 20 years from now as the devil gets a chance to get out every thousand years. And her and Arnold Schwarzenegger's paths cross, and he has to save the world. (laughs) That's essentially what you're going to get with this film. So, yeah, with that, we do, of course, like to talk about our cast and crew on a weekly basis. And this week I'm going to lead off with our director. And actually, this is unique to the show because this is uh, the first time we've actually done this where the director is also the cinematographer. First time for everything. But I am talking about Peter Hyams. Very interesting gentleman. I think he was like the third or fourth pick for this film. It initially had people like Sam Raimi and Guillermo del Toro on board and another director who got publicly called out because of his demands, which is kind of interesting. Oh, shit. (laughs) Yeah, so long story short, people might be familiar with Peter Hyams' works because they include such films as 2010, The Year We Make Contact, which is a sequel to Stanley Kubrick's 2001 A Space Odyssey, He's also the director of the 1986 action comedy Running Scared, which I actually enjoy. It's actually a really good film. He's also known for working with Jean-Claude Van Damme on several films, which include Time Cop and Sudden Death. And he's also worked on the films The Relic. And he's also got some really interesting other films, too. Like, if you go back, he did one. I was doing a little research on it. It's called Capricorn One. So that film got some really cool press. I know he worked as, like, an executive producer on The Monster Squad, he directed The Relic. Yeah. I like The Relic. Yeah, it's a pretty decent film, dude. Book and movie. We're going to do The Relic at some point on the podcast. We've talked about yeah. it behind the scenes a few times. So. so I was like, yeah, that's some pretty cool stuff. I mean, especially working with Von Damme. So. Probably not as good as I remember. That's ah, okay. We'll still tackle it. <laughs> All right, so we have writer Andrew W. Marlowe. He's known for working on such projects as Air Force One, Hollow Man, and he's also credited as a writer and the creator of the television show Castle, which aired from 2009 through 2016. I already mentioned that Peter Hyams is our cinematographer. We have two editors on this project, and one of those gentlemen are Jeff Gullo. He's known for being the editor in such films as Wind Talkers, The Punisher, and Aeon Flux. And we have gentleman Stephen Kemper. He is a really interesting editor, and when you look at some of his bodies of work, they include an episode of Tales from the Crypt back in 1989. It's Dig That Cat, He's Real Gone. It's a really cool episode. He's also worked on such things as New Jack City, Time Cop, Sudden Death, The Relic, Face Off, Mission Impossible 2, Wind Talkers, The Punisher, Legion, and more recently, he was the editor on the film The Meg. Cool. Yeah, nice. it's like pretty neat. All right. The music was composed by John Debney, another interesting gentleman because when you look at his bodies of work, more so if you look at the 90s, and we brought up 99 in between segments for obvious reasons mm-hmm. between you and me, but he helped compose music for such things as the Jetsons movie, Hocus Pocus, Little Giants, Cutthroat Island, Sudden Death, The Relic, Liar Liar, I Know What You Did Last Summer, My Favorite Martian, Inspector Gadget, Dick... The Adventures of Elmo and Grouchland. And then in the 2000s, he did such things as The Replacements, The Prince's Diary, Spy Kids, Jimmy Neutron, 
The Scorpion King, Spine Kids 2, The Hot Chick, Malibu's Most Wanted, Bruce Almighty, Elf. He did some work with Sam Raimi on Spider-Man Part 2. So, like I said, this gentleman has a body of work, a lot of stuff we've probably seen. He's still working on a lot of projects up to this day. I think more recently he's done stuff like Isn't It Romantic, The Beach Bum, which is a Harmony Korine film, interestingly enough, and Dora in the Lost City of Gold. So... That's okay. pretty cool shit. All right. The special effects team, I do have to bring them up because they're a boatload, but there's a reason I'm bringing them up because there's some pretty big names. But if you look at the special effects teams, they include Centropolis Effects, Hunter Gratzner Industries. They help with the church miniatures and effects. Okay. There's KNB, who we've mentioned before mm-hmm. because of their effects. They're a part of this. You have New Deal Studios, Rhythm and Hughes Studios, the Stan Winston Studio, Sturber Visual Effects Network. They help with the subway train miniature sequence in church pyrotechnic effects. Okay. There's the Chandler Group. They help with the visual effects photography and Todd AO Digital Images. This was produced by Armian Bernstein and Bill Borden. Production companies were Beacon Pictures and Lucy Films. The distributor was Universal Pictures for the 1999 United States theatrical release and Buena Vista International for the United Kingdom theatrical release in 1999. The release date was November 24th, 1999 here in the States. It had a budget, an estimated $100 million, and it grossed worldwide $212 million. There is a couple of different taglines. I did choose two of them for this film. The first one I have is the ultimate battle of good versus evil. That's arguable. (laughs) And rather generic. Yep. And the second one, prepare for the end of days. Whatever. Better than the other one. Right. <laughs> All right. So moving along, we do have a like star-studded cast. So last week when we were trying to figure out what movie we're going to do, I think the story better belongs here than in our next section. We're like, okay, well, we know what we're going to do next week. It was the first movie that was brought up. And I was like, yeah, well, for some reason I felt like, let's start big. We're yeah. going from 150 to 151. How could we start big? And we both didn't know what exactly what big should mean. And I just looked up, okay, what's the highest grossing horror movies of all time? And down on the Wikipedia highest grossing list, number 50 of the top 50 is End of Days. And I started laughing because I'd watched this movie like three or four times, probably more than that, (laughs) in the past. And just remembered it as the Arnold Schwarzenegger shoots the devil movie. And then... So I clicked on it just to continue laughing at it. And then we saw the cast involved. I'm like, oh, damn, this is awesome, yeah. And we're like, why shouldn't we cover this movie? So the big name, of course, is Arnold Schwarzenegger. We've already mentioned it a couple times. Oh, yeah. I mean, if you don't know who Arnold Schwarzenegger is, it's like, all right, have you ever seen any of the Conan the Barbarian films? Not starring Jason Momoa, (laughs) right? (laughs) Have you ever seen things like Total Recall or the Terminator series? Have you ever watched any bodybuilding? <laughs> Are you a giant fan of Jingle All the Way like me? <laughs> <laughs> I know, right? So there's a lot of things when I think about Arnold Schwarzenegger. I mean, it always kind of goes back for me like the 80s and the 90s just because I grew up in that time period. So a lot of stuff like that. Uh, interesting enough, he was also the governor of California for a while. So he was the governor as well. So, I mean, he's got his hands in all kinds of neat things. He's a part of the Kennedy family. Yeah, it's it's kind of interesting, man. But nonetheless, this is his first appearance since Batman and Robin, I believe, because he was having heart conditions oh, around okay. that time period. So they kind of took a risk on insuring him in the movie business, especially on a big budget like this. But uh, 
Yeah, because of it, he had movie offers after they figured out that he was A-OK. And then he became governor. That's wild. Because this is before Governator. Yeah, long before. Yeah. Which is really neat. All right, so moving along. Well, we should mention, too, that he plays the role of Jerry Cocaine in this film. Moving along, we have Robin Tunney, who she's no stranger to this podcast because we did mention her, of course, because she was in The Craft, which was our episode 134 of The Fried Squirms. But she plays the role of Christine York. Some of those films that we mentioned back on that episode of The Craft include things like Encino Man, she was in Empire Records. Some people might know her because of her work on Niagara, Niagara. Then she was also in such films as Supernova and Vertical Limit. Some of her television credits include Prison Break, excuse me, a lot of people really like that, and then the show The Mentalist, which is something that she's more recently known for. I think her one of her last bodies of work included the show The Fix, which she was a lead role on for 10 episodes. So, like I said, once again, somebody we've talked about before. All right, we have Gabriel Byrne, plays the role of the man in this film. He's another one of those actors that we've actually mentioned before because of our episode of Hereditary with Justin. That was episode 109. But uh, with Gabriel Byrne, I mean, I think of things like Miller's Crossing, which is a pretty awesome film, The Usual Suspects, Stigmata, Stigmata. which came out the same year as this film, coincidentally Because there was enough. Dueling Satan movies. Yeah, it's pretty wild, isn't it? He played the... a good and a bad guy in both of those films right the year before i think was the dueling asteroid movies and then we had <laughs> dueling satan movies go figure right yeah but some of his other films include things like spider jim debane vampire academy the 33 i mentioned hereditary he also co-wrote the last of the high kings he was also academy award nominated for in the name of the father look so one of those uh, actors if you've seen his face you're pretty familiar with his bodies of work uh, just a really cool actor man all right, moving ahead, we have actor Kevin Pollack, another gentleman we've talked about on this show before because of our episode of Red State mm-hmm. and Tusk. And that was episode 25. But some of the other roles, of course, that I think of Kevin in, he was in such things as A Few Good Men. He played in Grumpy Old Men, its sequel, Grumpy Old Men. You might have seen him as Todd Hockney in The Usual Suspects. He was also in the film Casino. And one of Kevin Smith's guys that he he tends to go to because he was also in cop out yep he was in cop out yeah which is a pretty decent film man i actually like that but pretty interesting guy i think he's got his own podcast he invites people on they talk about the films that they've been in together so that's kind of cool too all you kevin pollock listeners come listen to us yeah no (laughs) doubt all right moving forward we have actress cch pounder she plays the role of detective marge francis some of her bodies of work include All That Jazz, Pritzi's Honor, Postcards from the Edge, Benny and June. She was also in Tales from the Crypt Demon Knight, which is a really cool <laughs> film. She was in Face Off, yeah. the film Orphan, Avatar, The Mortal Instruments, and more recently Godzilla King of the Monsters. It was really awesome. All right, moving forward, we have actor Derek O'Connor. He plays the role of Thomas Aquinas in this film. And this gentleman is known for his uh, theatrical works, but... If you look at some of his filmography, they include such things as Jabberwocky. You might have seen the film Time Bandits. He was in Pope John Paul II, the film Brazil, Hope and Glory, Lethal Weapon 2, the film Ghosts, How to Make an American Quilt, the film Daredevil. He was also in Pirates of the Caribbean, Dead Man's Chest. And I believe his last film was the film Pushing Dead. Okay. All right, moving along, we have actress Miriam Margolis. She plays the role of Mabel. She's an, a British actress who also has Australian citizenship as well. 
but she's known for her theatrical work, some of her filmography. She's got some really cool bodies of film. Such things as The Awakening. She was in the uh, Kick Up of the 80s. She was also in the Black Adder television show, which I thought was really neat. She was in Little Shop of Horrors, the film Oliver Twist, A Little Princess. You might have seen her in Body Contact. She was also in the television movie Black Adder's Christmas Carol. Mm -hmm. She was in such things as The Butcher's Wife, the film Stalin, which was a TV movie, Ed and His Dead Mother, The Immortal Beloved, the film Babe. She actually voiced Fly, which was the female sheepdog in that film. She also was in Babe, Pig in the City, which is kind of neat. Uh, Mulan. So she's done a lot of voice acting. She's been in a lot of film credits, mostly a character actor, which is really neat. And I watch Black Eyed's Christmas Carol every year. Nice. So I actually see her every year as Queen Vic. So <laughs> That's pretty awesome. Okay, another gentleman who's no stranger to this show. We have Udu Kier, who plays the role of Dr. Abel. We actually talked about Udu on episode 91. And that was Suspiria from 1977. Now, this gentleman, he's known for being a pretty interesting German actor. I think he goes back in his patrol of Dracula from like the 70s, uh, which was Blood for Dracula. I mentioned he was in Suspiria. He's also in Narcissus in the Psyche, which is really neat. He's in such films as Lola, Moscow on the Hudson, which I really highly recommend for a Robin Williams film. Really cool film. Blade. Yeah, Blade, uh, My Own Private Idaho, Johnny Mnemonic. Yeah, he was in the film Armageddon, which is pretty neat. <laughs> Fear.com. Do you remember Fear.com? I do remember that. <laughs> That's kind of funny. <laughs> Evil Eyes, Dracula 3000, he was in Blood Rain, which is kind of neat. He was in Grindhouse, he was also in Halloween, Rob Zombies, that is. Oh, uh, and Lords of Salem. Yeah, that's pretty neat, isn't it? Yeah, he was in the film Melancholia, The Editor, which I just picked up recently, I need to watch. He was in Brawl on Cell Block 99, he was in Puppet Master, The Littlest Reich, and more recently, he was in such things as Baccarat, The Barefoot Emperor, and The Painted Bird, so... Still acting. Really cool to see him in this film as well. All right, moving along, we have Victor Vernado. He plays the role of the albino in the film. He's known for working on such films as Julian Donkey Boy, The Adventures of Pluto Nash, A Guy Thing. He was a part of My Name is Earl, the television show back in 2007, and a little film called I Origins as well. All right, we have a few more actors, and that kind of rounds out our cast and crew. So I have Mark McGullis. He plays the role of the Pope in this film one of the first things that stands out just because it's it was a major smash was the show breaking bad in which he played don hector tio salamanca mm. so you might be familiar with him that uh, he was in hbo's Oz serial as antonio napa oh he played the shadow in scarface yeah he was, was really alberto neat. the shadow in scarface yeah he's been in such things as like brian de palma's dress to kill uh, i mentioned he was in scarface he was a part of the cotton club he was in glory delta force 2 he was in Tales from the Dark Side of the movie, which is really neat. Ace Ventura, Pet Detective, Absolute Power, which is actually a pretty decent film, man. He was in Jacob the Liar, another Robin Williams film, as we mentioned. Requiem for a Dream, Hannibal as a perfume Ooh. expert. He was in Gone Baby Gone, the film The Wrestler, Black Swan, Immortals, Stand Up Guys. And uh, more recently, things like The Abandon, My Big Fat Greek Wedding Part 2 for people like that, and mm -hmm. Valley of Bones. So, All right. We have actor Rod Steiger. He plays the role of Father Kovac. Pretty big actor from the 40s. He played in like a lot of movies that depicted like the underworld of crime, mob bosses, things like that. 
I mean, he worked with Marlon Brando on On the Waterfront, which is a pretty big movie. Send some uh, Heat of the Night with Sidney Poitier. Yeah, that's pretty wild, isn't it, man? So if you want like a notable actor for working with stage actors, working with some pretty big names in Hollywood from the kind of like the golden age of cinema, we have Rod Steiger for that. And one of the last gentlemen I have is Mark Lawrence. He plays the role of old man. I was like, who the fuck is old man in this film? He is the guy with the stitched up eyes toward the end of the film. Oh, okay. Yeah, so I was like, oh, okay, that's pretty cool. He's been in some really cool shit too, man. So if you're looking at him too, I mean, he worked all the way from the 30s, including all the way up through uh, 2003, actually. So some of his last roles included things like from Dusk Till Dawn, he was in the movie For Rooms, you might have seen him in Newsies, he was in Superfuzz, which is actually a pretty decent <laughs> film. Yeah, like I said, some old films too, going all the way back from the 30s. But it looks like one of his last ones was in Looney Tunes back in action as Acme VP. So it's kind of neat. But yeah, like I said, we've got a, a pretty star-studded cast and crew. We gave you a brief synopsis of what this film entails. We should give you a couple of warnings. I think it's, it warrants that. So this is an action horror movie that leans more into the action because it is an Arnold vehicle. Most action horror movies lean more into the action than into the horror. I agree. It's just what that subgenre does. That being said, if you're familiar with Arnold movies, this is one of the darkest ones he's in. Yeah, I would agree with that. And it is rated R and earns it with nudity. Yeah, like violence not and horror. A little bit, a, but not vi- much. Most violence, but the, the violence is mostly action movie violence right 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 there's i don't know if i'd count it as good gore but there's some good disturbing images that are rather bloody some of it's kind of gore is borderline yeah some of it's kind of gore but yeah disturbing it religious inspired bloody images yeah i would agree with that and you know your usual you're gonna have some profanity here and there yeah i mean aside from that it's nothing too far out of the ordinary if you're familiar with schwarzenegger films that lean on the action side and a little bit of the supernatural because of the religious themes in this film then you'll be right at home yeah let's find out how and has made us squeal how does that make you squeal we start, spark that up. We got some end of J's going on. That's right. Talk about end of days. That's also right. <laughs> All right, so I guess I already mentioned I had seen this movie before. Had you seen this? Oh, man. If I had, I was not paying attention. Now, I will say this during that time period too, late 90s, there were a lot of films like this I was watching, mainly because my dad was still like big into the action films from that time period. So... You know, watching it now and thinking about it back then, I was like, man, if I did, I didn't pay attention where the fuck because I didn't remember a lot of stuff in this film. So in between the 90s, late 90s, maybe even early 2000, 2001, I probably hadn't seen it since then, if I had at all, Mm -hmm. because I don't remember it fondly, to be quite frank. Yeah, I'm not sure how many times I'd seen this. Like I said, 1999 had Dueling Satan movies, and I did enjoy Stigmata more. I remember not liking this one as much, even though I probably saw it a good four or five times. Because I did enjoy it well enough, but that's compared to Stigmata, which I probably watched more like 10 to 12 times. Yeah, that's understandable. I hadn't seen it since probably at least 2001, 2002. I think I might enjoy it more now than I did then, but it's still not great. Yeah, I, I know what you're saying with that. It's really not that great of a film, but it's not, I think, as bad as probably people like to 
lead you to believe it is. So I wanted to bring that up because that like a Rotten Tomatoes tomato meter, it's eleven percent. The audience score is thirty-two percent. Metacritic, the meta score is a thirty-three. The user score is pretty favorable. It's an eight point six, and IMDb puts it at a five point eight. Where do you think you would put it? I think on those scales, on whatever scale you want to put it. I, on. I tend to. I think I've mentioned this before. I tend to lean a little bit more towards the database when they rate movies. And my rule of thumb is typically if anything's about a five and or above, it's typically going to be a decent film. Like it might not be great, like we had mentioned, but you're still going to get some entertainment value out of it. There's still something to be leaned. So, in that regard, I would probably place it more like in the closer to the six range, six six and a half. I, I was even gonna. I was gonna be a little bit more generous than that. Maybe say like low seven, like seven point yeah, I mean, two out of ten. Or something I w- like if that. somebody were to give that, I wouldn't be disappointed. I like our. I would. I wouldn't bicker with that because I was like, yeah. I mean, I think those thirties are ridiculous. That this yeah, that's way better. That's beyond that. ridiculous, man. That's I hate to say it like this, but that's reserved for films more like Death House and shit like that that we've re- you know yeah. we've reviewed. Out of the ones we've reviewed, Death House would maybe be and like you 30. know even then. I would Belko's still argue. Still like a 50. Yeah, it's like even then I would still argue because uh, I mean, as bad as that film really is, I still got a lot out of it. Like there's still some pretty cool concepts that just Mostly didn't the pan three out. Satans. Right, it just didn't pan out as well as they wanted. No big deal. We can look beyond that. But in terms of this film, yeah, I would say anything six and above, I would probably do like that. If you're going more like a ten, I'd be like, uh, <laughs> I go argue with you a little bit. <laughs> But yeah, I think this film's a lot better than what it's given credit for. I think there's mostly just nothing that makes it stand out. Yeah. And I honestly think, and I noticed that Arnold had a quote saying something right around the same. I think it's the fault of the director. Once again, I would have to agree. Not that the director is bad. It's just like, oh, It's serviceable and that's it. Yeah. He does the job and that's it. Yeah, he doesn't do anything... He doesn't uplift the film in any way. One thing I can say is I can see why James Cameron suggested him as director of this film. I mean, not just because he worked with Arnold Schwarzenegger, that is James Cameron, but just because of the way this this movie plays along, I think it, it was probably better suited for this gentleman than like Sam Raimi or Del Toro. Okay, so... I was going to bring those up later, but we're on it naturally right now. So there was three other potential directors. Mm-hmm. I kind of don't know if I want to see the Sam Raimi version of this movie. No, I could see I, it I don't being... see him working well with this script. No, no, not no, no. It would be more, I would feel like it'd be more on the black comedy side of things, more so than action and stuff like that, if it were given to him. Del Toro, I could see if they would have also had their original lead. Because originally this movie was written for Tom Cruise. Yeah, you're right. And I think Del Toro's version would have been a lot more centered around the brokenness of Jericho Kane and him finding his salvation through the weird fantasticalism. I was going to ask, too, if you think it would be more in line with like a Hellboy kind of storytelling not at this time in Del Toro's career. This would have been around Mimic. Yeah, cause that's still pretty early in his career, yeah. This would have been around Mimic, I think, right? Yeah. So yeah. we would have had some sort of bugs would have been worked in somehow. 100%. We would have had like a roach mixed into a fucking really important uh-huh. scene. I don't know how much he would have leaned into it, but I feel he might have played more around with the church elements. Yeah. 
And that's what I was thinking, too, with his background with Catholicism. Mm-hmm. It would probably be a little bit more in his wheelhouse. All right. One other guy, not as bit well-known of a name, Marcus Nispel. Right. And that was the gentleman I was alluding to who quit because he was outed for his 64-page demand for things that he needed on set. And so he quit because of embarrassment. His is the version I want to see in most. Yeah. I mean, well, when you look at his filmography, too, they're a lot more closely related to this film than any other person's body of work. His other filmography is the 2003 Texas Chainsaw Massacre, which isn't bad. I've seen that movie a few times. We talked about yeah. one of the scenes from it last week. Uh, that's funny, isn't One it? of the scenes from that is really fucked up. <laughs> uh, yeah, when you stack it up to the original scene, yeah, for sure, without a doubt. We talked about that briefly <laughs> on our last episode, yeah. I didn't see his Frankenstein. Pathfinder is bloody as fuck. Did nice. you see Pathfinder? I did not. I did not. Pathfinder is kind of a fucking like fantasy gore fest. It's really nice. fun. I didn't watch the 2009 Friday the 13th, did you? It was hyper-violent, so yeah, I can see that. But he did the Jason Momoa Cone and the Barbarian. Oh, nice. Go figure. I really fucking dug that movie. Lots of people didn't like that movie because it wasn't Arnold. It's also a lot closer to actually being Conan from the stories. Nice. Well, there you go. Arnold, I love Arnold's Conan. I fucking... To kill your enemies. <laughs> the lamentations of the will. <laughs> I can't fucking remember the quote, but you know what I'm getting at. Like, it's fucking great shit. But I also really like the stories, and I love that he managed to bring the old school sword and sorcery feel to life. Yeah, that's awesome. So his is the version of End of Days that I would most want to see. You know, I won't say it in an ideal world, because that's not what I'm trying to say here. Is Maybe in under certain circumstances or different circumstances, had he not dropped out of the project, it would have been interesting to see what he would have done with it. Okay. I mean, that's almost impossible. I never would have guessed this movie was going to make as much money as it did in the first oh, place. Oh, no. Because I, I was going to say, do you think it would have made as much money? And I'd oh. say, I wouldn't think this movie would have made $212 million. Ooh, I know, man. And that's... I would have said this movie would have made its budget back. I would have said maybe 150, 175 million. Well, when I saw the 100 million dollar budget, I'm like, Jesus Christ! But then when you see what goes on in this film, it's like, okay, maybe I can see a little bit of where that budget went in 1999. Right? Exactly. Exactly. That's I mean, that's a lot of money. 1999. Some of the effects. Oof. Some of the CG. <laughs> yeah. Time period, for sure. It's totally different. Time period. I almost wanted to talk about that, because we've brought this up. We've done a couple movies around this time period. And we have. And their, their need to use some of this CG. And it doesn't look good. Nah, not, not for its time period. But, I mean, and, but what they had... And there's was... always been people who back practical effects. I don't want to say, like, everybody was on board with this. But you remember the time period when this movie came out, right? No like, doubt. None of us were bad-mouthing those effects at the time. No, no, because it was groundbreaking for the most part. It was cutting edge. We were like, oh shit, this is what they can do now? What's next? Exactly. Now we look back on it and we're like, well, they were going for photorealism and they right. did just, not achieve it. <laughs> doesn't translate well. And that's like like you were just saying. It's no discredit to the film because it's a product of its time period. So you have to take that in, into mind. But for what they were trying to accomplish through the storytelling aspect of it, I don't think it really detracts a whole lot. You can just tell. like It's just no. like, ah, you know they're standing in front of a green screen. It's so obvious. Dude, I was thinking about it. This time period, it was probably even a blue screen. 
you're more than likely right i did see a little bit behind the scenes and it was mostly for like inserts and some of the miniatures they were working on did have the green screen but i it wouldn't surprise me though for like action and other things blue screen yeah studio wise yeah but that's man i was thinking back on it though like when i saw this movie when it came out i thought everything in it looked awesome yeah i remembered the devil bit at the end is looking way more realistic than <laughs> I found out that it looked last night. <laughs> yeah. I, I know what you're saying with that too. Yeah. I honestly remember that entire sequence way differently than it actually played out though. So I the Mandela effect too. You never yeah. know. <laughs> I remember the devil looking a bit more like Violator. Okay. Rather than how he actually looked. And for there to be a little bit more shooting at him while he's in his big form rather than him immediately turning into see-through and hitting jericho yeah we'll get to that let's go, let's go to the beginning <laughs> of this movie let's set this shit up so, okay so, so we're talking what about. i did write my very first note was that i actually enjoy the opening title sequence i thought it was really cool some of the music had a little bit of a danny elfman feel to it just a little bit mm-hmm. it wasn't like as playful but it had a little bit of the feel but then I also noticed, I was like, it's a three-minute intro. Dude, that was... <laughs> yeah. I zoned the fuck out. I started playing on my phone. Movie started. I was like, shit, I have to stop this and rewind it because I got completely sidetracked. Right. Now, some of the things that happen in that open title sequence, which is clever, is it's a little bit giving you Showing a little Jesus bit... Showing Jesus as soon as they show Robin <laughs> Tunney. It shows like uh, Child in Womb, right? And so it's like, okay, you kind of get the idea that they're setting things up. So after you get out of that intro, it goes into Vatican City, Rome, 1979. We learn because of the skyline, there's the full moon with a little bit of like this white arch above it. I think it was the cardinal who like bust out. I was like, this guy was being reckless with that fucking scroll, dude. He was really getting to it. Mm-hmm. But the point being was he claimed that it was the eye of God. The scroll reads "Finis Diarum," which means "End of Days," mm-hmm. right? And so he's telling the the Pope, who is uh, Tio, <laughs> right? They're explaining what's going on, and some of the things that I wrote is basically that the uh, the girl was born to bear Satan's child, right? And faith is going to save the girl. So, as opposed to like you know using evil, you have to have faith. So we're going to use good to save the girl. Thomas Aquinas gets tasked. If you have to have faith and you have Limp Biscuit on the soundtrack already. Because <laughs> I gotta have faith, faith, faith. Gotta have faith. Oh my god. I know. Would you do the wham? Well, is it George Michael? Because yeah. I don't want to get this wrong. <laughs> George Michael version or uh, Limp Biscuit. Dude, I legit actually really like Limp Biscuit. Yeah. It's like, it's not bad. I mean, there was some shit I was into with them for a little bit. Yeah. I listened to a lot of Limp Bizkit back in the day. I, I'm just as guilty. There's nothing, no shame in it. Uh, about a month ago, <laughs> I spent like a week listening really hard to Limp Bizkit again, trying to figure out why I stopped listening to it. The biggest answer is Fred Durst. Everything else they're doing, I think is great. He's just a big, just smear of douchiness across <laughs> whatever they yeah, touch. He's got a, a large ego, very, very large ego. But uh, musically, like the musician, I know we're getting off on a tangent, but musically they're really good. Yeah, I, I love some of what they're doing in the background behind his douchiness. But 
that stands out to me way more than it ever did. <laughs> but I also really like some of their stuff way more than I ever did, too. So I don't know. It evens out. <laughs> it but gets back to that, faith. Westmoreland Side Project, Duke Lion, that's my shit. There you go. Anyway. Well, it's good that he's still making music, too. But what it boils down to is I did write Thomas Aquinas is charged with looking for the girl. And six hours later, in conjunction with all this shit, this prophecy that's going on, we get a mother giving birth to a baby girl in the hospital. When this is where it becomes super suspicious because things get played out. As soon as the baby's born, there's like a midwife, nurse, whatever, takes the baby off. It's like, you know, we're just going to clean the baby up, bring her back. And we come to find out that there's a group of Satanists, apparently, that work at the hospital. that are waiting on this moment. And Uta Kier is one of the doctors. And he gives her like this, um, this occultist ritual or a satanic ritual where he slices the snake and anoints the baby with the blood. Mm-hmm. I was like, damn, that's kind of fucked up. But I, I kind of like, like that's it. That's kind of metal. <laughs> minute, minute, minute. Yeah, I was like, all right, here we go. This is kind of like kick the, starting off things. So upon second watch... It made me not only pay more attention because it's like, oh, I didn't even, I don't know why I wasn't paying attention before, but Mabel, who we find out is her stepmother a little bit later on. She's the nurse, right? She's the nurse who takes her like immediately to the Satanist. And Udo Kier's character, we find out is Dr. Abel's, also appears to be her psychiatrist. Oh, okay. You know? So I was like, okay, so it's setting up things. So if you don't pay attention, a little bit later on, their relationships won't make much sense. You brought up the name of the fucking priest that goes searching for her, and he comes up again. <laughs> right, I mean, and... that was right on the nose, man. The name. Did you facepalm a little bit over how important all the fucking stupid ass names were throughout this movie? Especially once you learned his name was Thomas Aquinas. Yeah, and it's like, ugh, dude, come on. For those who don't know, Thomas Aquinas... 12th century, right? Yeah, Dominican friar, Catholic priest. He's considered one of the doctors of the church, extremely influential philosopher, theologian. I mean, there's just a lot ethics, of his morality. Yeah, there's a lot of things, morality. Yeah. There's a lot of shit he wrote down, a lot of stuff that's still talked about because of how influential he was. And like I said, like big in the church too, considered right. a doctor of the church. So I was reading a little bit too, like for gentlemen who were trying to join the clergy. He's is kind of the model for would-be priests and bishops, etc., cetera, etc. Cetera. It's like that's kind of interesting too. They're still holding him to that standard, you know. Then we have fucking Christine York, <laughs> which we find out. We're jumping ahead a little bit, right. but I want to talk about the names for a second. So I think it's funny how he kind of like goes through the names. He's like, uh, Christ in New York. It could be Christ the New York. <laughs> yeah, he's going into that. <laughs> What about Christine York? Like, uh, Chris York. Yeah. Like, and I was like, really? <laughs> the only name they find is Christine York. Yeah. And I'm like, bullshit. There is a Chris York in New York. Bullshit. Oh, yeah, and he easy. says that, that's one of the names to check. Chris York. <laughs> and that would be easy. But I'm like, Ugh. okay, we know that it's used to further the plot and speed things up. But I was like, that's <laughs> that's a little, a little too easy of a shortcut. And then Jericho Kane. JC. Oh, dude. As soon as I... For, I'm not even joking. When I'm writing my notes, right? I think I wrote Jericho down like maybe once or twice until I made that connection. It's like, oh, shit. JC. Jesus Christ. Well, That's think, kind of the epiphany you have, too, when you've learned that. I'm like, oh, Jesus Christ. 
Uh, well, you know what? Jericho Kane's a little bit clever because the cane, I think, is supposed to throw you off the trail a little bit mm-hmm. and send you down a different biblical thought before you think the strength of the walls of Jericho, but then just the JC. Yeah. I, I mean, it, it totally makes sense. All of this is very symbolical. And I mean, I think that is kind of clever in this story if you don't know those things like a Dr. Abel. Huh, hello. Kane and Abel. Maybe a better director. <laughs> Anyway. <laughs> yeah, but I mean, there's a lot of this stuff that's going on in, in this movie. But even a little bit before we even get introduced to Arnie, is the whole sequence with, I'll write down as the Predator Satan, <laughs> that's going through the traffic. Oh, right. And I like the invisible effects. The invisible it's cool. effects are cool. It works. It's like, you know, there was, I mean, knowing this now, it's like, oh, that's just a dude with a camera that was walking around the street. Mm-hmm. <laughs> but the effects were good. I thought it was interesting how they show you. Peter Gabriel, I'm not Peter Gabriel, Gabriel Burns, I know that would have been pretty wild. <laughs> Gabriel Burns' character, it's just a regular business guy, right? Like this investment mm-hmm. bank or whatever, who's having a dinner with some swanky kind of couple. He goes in the bathroom and gets fucked up. Yeah. I was going to say, if it was Peter Gabriel instead of Gabriel Burns, so then, <laughs> then the invisible entity hitting him wouldn't be Satan. It would be the one from Preacher. Genesis. <laughs> That'd be awesome. So uh, the very next thing that happens after he's possessed, Satan takes over the body, Lucifer that is, is he goes up to that blonde, grabs a titty. <laughs> so what's more, thing. <laughs> what's more audacious and ridiculous? Gabriel Byrne walking out and getting a handful of titty. <laughs> And getting a smooch, or Nick Cage's priest humping the choir girl and face off. <laughs> oh my god! This uh, is the only thing that I could compare it against. I Nick know, Cage so, wins in this. I mean, I know it's so audacious, but I'm like, I like, wow, that is such a bold move. So we learn later that his piss is flammable slash explosive. Since he kissed her before that explosion happened, did he turn her into the bomb? Possibly. I think that's a good way of looking at it. It makes sense. Was that kiss the bomb? Yeah, it was the bomb. (laughs) This started it all. I was reading a little bit because I mentioned James Cameron suggested Peter Hyams to direct this film because of the dropouts and whatnot. And he pays a little bit of an homage in that scene because of uh, The Terminator, I think part two. Mm. With uh, Robert Patrick's character, the T-1000. Anyway, that explosion's a little bit of an homage to Cameron. I can see that now. Yeah, which that is That makes neat. sense. Like, uh, okay, I got it. It's good. It, it's effective. I'm surprised how explodey the Satan is that yeah. they didn't fucking get Michael Bay to direct. <laughs> it would have been perfect for him. He would have loved all the explosions in this film. Dude, I want to see the Michael Bay version of this movie. I'm basically just going to keep hammering home that... I don't want to see the Peter Hyams version of this movie as much. <laughs> yeah, it's, I mean, it's all right. It's not bad. I mean, but you're right. It could have been... It's not bad, but it could have been better. I think it the could story's have been elevated. There. Yeah, it could have gone a different level. I think the story's there, and then also once they had Arnie, they felt the need to play up some of the action elements. Yeah, and he still delivered the goods, mm-hmm. I think. All right, moving along with the story, right? After the explosion, all that good stuff. We do get introduced to Jerry Cocaine. He's sitting in the dark with a pistol, handgun. And contemplating suicide. And that's when Bobby Chicago comes in and interrupts and brings some daylight into the apartment. Uh, Arnie makes a fucked up little 
concoction protein shake. Maybe the one name that probably doesn't mean a fucking thing. Bobby Chicago. Yeah. I couldn't I couldn't place anything there. Oh, it's just his initials BC. But even then, how much but does that make sense to it, think? It like... doesn't. It doesn't. Yeah, I know. It's weird. He's just a little buddy cop. <laughs> <laughs> right? Yeah, I have no idea. I was trying to make sense of that, but I'm like, Bobby Chicago. No, the, he doesn't fit. Marge Francis is a stretch to say anything. Oh, fuck. <laughs> I don't know. Yeah, MF. There's a, a little bit of an idea I have much later on in the film. It's more symbolic, maybe than anything more so than the character themselves. I'll get back to that. But what we learn is that Arnie and uh, Pollock, they're partners, but they're for like a private firm, and they're tasked with transporting a scummy Wall Street banker, Mm -hmm. who we learn is, of course, Gabriel Burns' character, who's now Lucifer. And they're doing a sweep once they do pull up to wherever they're dropping him off at, and they notice there's a sniper on one of the the buildings, Arnie gets shot. The guy gets away. And when he comes to, they chase him, and I was like, "Oh, here we go. This is gonna be awesome." <laughs> Dude, Arnie gets beat the fuck up in this movie. A lot. That shot is the beginning of it because he might be wearing the vest, but that shit hurts. You know that's gonna hurt like a mother sucker. And he's down from it for a little bit because <laughs> most of the suck. time in this movie, he's mostly a realish guy until shit like this helicopter chase happens. <laughs> I love it, man. Yeah, when they uh, get up there on the helicopter, first thing I was like, all right, they're actually shutting down New York City traffic for this shot. Call in Sky 2. Yeah. (laughs) Bring in the chopper. (laughs) Do it now. Right? But I was like, all right, the guys, they're stunt doubles, you can tell. Well, yeah, big time. Right? And I was like, okay, cool. And then they do like their insert shots where they're in the copter, and they go up, and they're doing the sweeps. like, just get close. I'll get them. And they do the jump, right? And he catches in. I'm like, oh, here we go. But one thing I thought, actually two things I thought were totally unrealistic in this film was if someone's pointing a gun and shooting at you that that close range, you're going to hear some like hums. It's going to fuck your ears up. And then second, when he does drop Thomas, that is Aquinas, it's like that would have hurt like a motherfucker too from that height. I don't care. At his age... That would have hurt like a bitch. Yeah, you're fucked up, Thomas. (laughs) No, he he darts. Arnie gets off. And then the third thing, I was like, he's still tethered. (laughs) Oh, absolutely. He would have gotten caught because he never untethers. And I think you're supposed to assume that he does off screen. So I was like, oh, there's some continuity thing there. I mean, it's slight, but, you know, I noticed it. But what it leads to is they go down into the subway tunnels and Aquinas has given him a warning, it sounds like. Like, the thousand years has ended, devil is let loose of his prison. And Arnie does kneecap him. He finds there's, no, there's nothing on him except for a matchbook that says Spada, which is actually Peter Hines' way of recognizing his wife's maiden's name, like her family, mm-hmm. in his films. Shuts him out. Yeah, so that he does that apparently with all his films. There's a way he uses Spada or that name Spada in his films. But what we learn is once the cops catch up to all this is that this guy... Take it. No, no need to make it easy on them. <laughs> he, uh, yeah, it's so funny, man. His, his delivery on these lines are so good. But we learn that Thomas Aquinas didn't have a tongue, so there's no way he could have told him all that shit, right? Mm-hmm. So Arnie and Kevin... They go to the apartment, which is fucking run down. It looks like shit. But it has all this 
religious iconography on it. They find Thomas's tongue, and then they find who would be Christine York, which we'll find out in a little while. Her picture in a jar in a jump scare refrigerator. <laughs> yeah, with the fucking the cat. cat from Reanimator. Yeah, the, the cat, uh, Ridley's cat in Alien. <laughs> yeah. Asshole cat just looking to get a cheap jump scare in. Yeah. And what I thought was funny, too, is uh, Kevin Pollock's line was like, he's like, I knew that was coming, which in probably two parts was true, right? Not only for his character in the film, but for him in real life. Like, he probably, he's like, fuck, it still got me. <laughs> but uh, anyhow, that's kind of what it leads them in a direction. I think that's when they have that conversation. Like, they're trying to figure out who this girl is. How are they going to find out? After they make that discovery of her photo, we get the introduction of to Christine, Robin Tunney's character. And along the way, too, like intercut, there was an albino when you first get Satan on the streets, when he's mm. when the sniper, all that shit's going on. But then the sex change is when he's on the subway train with Robin Tunney. And it's awkward <laughs> what he says and what gets played out. It's like, that is pretty fucked up. That was really fucked up. That was one of those scenes where I was like, these effects don't hold up now, but I remember this being super fucking dope. I mean, for, like I said, for that time period, yeah, for sure. I was 17 around that time period. Mm-hmm. And I'm like, yeah, that would have been pretty dope. See, I was like 12. Him falling to pieces like that was insane. There's some really good creepy elements in this. Considering action horror always tends to lean heavy into the action side... I think this has enough horror to qualify for the horror side of the title. I agree with that as well. Because of that supernatural, you're still dealing with... You have this shit with him. Mm-hmm. You get like the fucked up, just like the crucifixion later. Oh, Multiple yeah, crucifixions really later. <laughs> yeah, true. True. But this is kind of where it's leaning a little bit into that supernatural element. I mean, not that we didn't get it with Gabriel Burns' character, of course, but... This is starting to deal with the different characters having that kind of shit go on. So once she has that encounter and she apologizes because she thinks she's having a freak out moment, like a vision moment. And she goes back to her apartment and I'm like, oh shit, there's that woman from the fucking beginning of the film. What's she doing? And you find out that's her stepmother. Mm-hmm. And it was after her mother had passed away. You know, apparently her dad remarried and whatnot. And uh, she calls her psychiatrist, who's Dr. Abel Urukier, who uh, the one who anointed her as a baby. So they've been fucking with her since she was a baby. Well, and this is when you're like, oh, so this is how hereditary happens. Essentially, yeah, they're they're breeding her, or yeah, they're raising her to fulfill that prophecy for them. Also, how Dune happens. I, I need to I need to revisit that. It's been way too long, but I kind of get it. It's like okay, it makes the beginning more interesting now because of that attachment to it Mm -hmm. and this is where oh because of thomas aquinas's ties to the church he went to saint john's church when he moved to the states oh right and so they go there to 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 visit uh, father kovac and father kovac got any more info on uh, this this is some of the funniest exchanges i think because of what a difference in opinion what i thought so funny man is yeah arnie's just trying to get some information and the guy's like you know because of the your non-belief there's things that you just you're not going to understand so you, he's what do you say say send something to him it's like um he has some some like little snarky reply to him something like he needs something to see anyway long story short is arnie actually like follows the father down 
into the underground and what's going on is I mean it's nothing out of the ordinary right an impressive computer lab for a bunch of priests okay this is where my sense of humor might get the me amount of trouble. gigabytes of child porn <laughs> Oh my god. <laughs> I was thinking that. I was like, okay. This is 1999 internet where you, like, legitimately could accidentally stumble upon child porn. Oh, man. Yeah. And it's like, that's so incriminating. I mean, regardless, but, you know. This back in the this days. This is like of, in the dark ages. This is in the days of user created Yahoo chat rooms. Oh, dude. No stranger in any of that. There's even a scene where I saw an AOL van. I was like, oh, damn, that's dating this film for sure. But that was just what it was, man, back then. It was. It did feel like the Wild West of the internet. Things were still sorting themselves out. They were sketchy. Yeah, a lot of sketchy shit. I mean, it was kind of fun, but it was sketchy. It was sketchy. <laughs> I was thinking that, though, when I saw that. At first, it looks innocently like what they're doing. It's just they're translating what this woman who's suffering from, I won't say suffering, but she's she has this uh, stigmata, stigmata, right? And Gabriel Byrne's like, hey, <laughs> about that. hey right? And You're not Narquette. <laughs> right, and so they're basically telling, you know, Arnie, he needs to balance. There's a shit down here he's not going to understand. He's not going to get it. But that was my second thought. It was like, okay, that's just not any old computer club. <laughs> that's a very intricate sex ring <laughs> operation they probably got going on down there. Oh, man. Does Gabriel Byrne then show up at Udo's place? He does. That's the very next step. And Udo's character recognizes him. He's like, oh, it's you. Oh, fuck. Right? And then he's introduced. This is Lucifer's introduced to Udo Kier's daughter and his wife. And then it goes into like this sexual encounter experience. It's very psychedelic so with meshing. The, with what happens and the way that ends... Mm-hmm. Are we supposed to believe the three-way actually happened or that it was just part of him fucking with Christine's dreams? I think you can interpret it or definitely both. that way. I know. I, I think I, you, it's probably both. I That's think what I'm can. thinking. But at first, I was thinking, okay. Because I don't think Udo gives a fucking shit about his family. No. He's it's Satan just, first. Yeah. He's happy that Satan's here. He's like, do your will, whatever. You know, he knows. He knows the rules. <laughs> and... I was like, oh, shit, we're just getting to watch Gabriel Byrne have no little sex debate. <laughs> but then it turns out, of course, to be Robin Tunney's dream. But then I was like, well, he does have that influence. We find that, you know, they're tethered. She has his blood, apparently. Oh, yeah, and he so here's her. the other thing. Having a three-way with a mother and daughter is one of the specific sexual acts the Bible does say not to do. There's not much that it specifically says, which is why homosexuality is all right. <laughs> I mean, it's all right anyway. Yeah, I know. But you know saying. what I mean. At least as far as New Testament goes, which is what all these nowadays Christians are supposed to be following, not those old rules. <laughs> A whole different rant. Fuck it all anyway. But uh, yeah, that is one of the things that's actually specifically brought up. I don't know if that's brought up New Testament. That's probably Old Testament too, but yeah, it's just kind of funny because you have the devil being like, Mom yeah. and daughter. Mom and daughter. That's like that. I'm is, Gabriel Byrne. That's a top search on a lot of different sites. <laughs> I think I saw that yesterday. <laughs> I mean, you know, happens. I've heard about those things. We're getting to see these things. But I do like how it does turn into a her nightmare and whatnot and what kind of results from it is like we know now that it's not just nightmare, she's having like That was a pretty sexual... smooth morph into her. 
It was neat. All of that was neat. I liked it. Way to go, 99. <laughs> Just because I brought that up, I have to say I'm still blown away by how many good movies came out in 1999. We weren't talking about it on air, and we won't go into it too hard again, but look that shit up. No, it's, it's Even worth the bad movies at. from that year are good movies. I agree. So, moving along with the film, this is where we get the crucified Thomas Aquinas, because that was fucking dope. Satan visits him. You know, he's like, this is the face, or this is the person you've been having nightmares over in the last thousand years, yada, yada. Yeah, and then he's fucking crucified up to the ceiling. fucking smoke in yeah, there and just shit. giving it to him, That man. was mean, dude. It was cool. Yeah. Gabriel Byrne does a really good job. I'm not going to lie. I think he gave a pretty good performance, considering. But what we learn is once they bring him down, and they see his chest that has all this Latin carved into him, and, of course, the dog's like, oh, there's Latin, and he reads it out. He's, you know, talking about the prophecy. He's like... Christ in New York. And that's where they get the whole, it's like, let's run through the database and see what we can come up with. Maybe it's Chris in New York. I was like, oh my God. But like, what comes of it? Yeah, we find that she has a DMV photo. They trace it down. And what we get is uh, Christine. Yeah, she's working out, which is the best, maybe the best part of the film. (laughs) Because of what follows and transpires. It's like, oof, it's worth the bill. So, 1999 means this movie was in production at the same time as The Matrix, so it wasn't influenced by it yet. Mm -hmm. The action scenes in this movie are very (laughs) pre-Matrix action scenes. They kind of are. I fucking tuned out this action scene. I didn't give a fuck. I knew how it was going to end. Yeah. All that's really just happening is... What was more important was the end and finding out who it was after that. Right. Is the Vatican Knights were trying to take her out because they feel like regardless they need to take her out so that way satan has no way of siring a child to usher in the end of days and whatnot but the church's belief is like no we need to have faith to overcome this and faith alone is going to defeat evil Mm -hmm. so the vatican knights they're trying to give her the last rites and jc and bc is what i had them written down as interrupt save the day she starts to trust arnie Another thing I learned upon second view is like, oh, I didn't realize like he found her music box that tied it back to his daughter. So right, they gave cause... him that co- connection there, whatnot. The next thing, which is really interesting, is Mabel. I think she makes the phone call because after they leave, she's like, no, I can't deliver because they're outside and they'll follow me and I'll bring them to our lair. <laughs> and Gabriel Byrne is listening with Udukir because she's making the phone call to them. Mm-hmm. And because of that outcome, he punches fucking Udu Kears through the fucking head. I'm like, hell yeah. This movie is fucking wild, son. That was crazy. I, I wasn't expecting that. Right. That was That great. was so awesome. And it's it's because he's mad because now he has to go do it, basically. And so he goes to do it. Right. And that's when and you that's find when out that the devil has explosive piss. Right, right. He, he takes the wizard. Upstairs. This is also, when you find out that when you're a satanic nurse, you have the strength to overpower Arnie. She like tries to backhand him with her claws, apparently, and leaves the the marks in the door frame. I was like, holy shit! Yeah, she she slings him, God and she's like kind of she's scolding Christine. She's like, "Have I not been a good mother to you? Have I not taken care of you?" She's fucking Ar- Arnie with a piano in the meantime. <laughs> This is wild on piano, yeah. Nailing them up against the fucking wall. It's fucking wild, man. 
so the explosions, Jesus. what happens is uh, Kevin Pollock gets mm-hmm. you know ignited. It blows up. I think that's what thrusts that whole action sequence awry. Because Mabel winds up getting like a piece of glass stuck in her neck. Fucks her up pretty good. And because of her failure, that's how she dies. Mm-hmm. Uh, Satan pushes it into her neck really menacingly. I like it. But then again, it's like he's getting closer, man. He's right on the cusp. They run into the alley is what happens. They escape into the alley. Oh, yeah, they're like, all right, let's get the fuck out of here. And our homies show up, and they're like, oh, not homies. No, it's like, oh, damn, you guys are Satanists, too. That's fucked up. But Arnie got him. He got him good. Jesus, Marge, what the fuck? (laughs) He's like, he's like, uh, something like, put down the hardware. What's with the hardware? (laughs) But he comes out, and he sneaks his Glocks. Alan gets them. Stone Cold, they escape. A lot of Glock product placement. Oh, there was. I read about that. It's fucking wild. Apparently, one of his Glocks was a 99 model, but because they shot it in 98, it was actually like advertising for a future model. Oh, okay. Yeah, so there was like a part of... I think they said they kind of did that. It has a certain name for that, like a stage, something or another, Mm -hmm. but it's it's a way to promote a future product in your film or Mm. commercial or whatever. So, uh, anywho... (laughs) After he lays waste to them, uh, they make it back to Kovac, and that's when she decides she wants to stay because he's revealing things like it's starting to line up. Well, now that she's on church property, she's invisible to Satan too. So exactly. now this is where Satan starts bugging people, and he's like, "Where's she at?" Or that's not what he says, but you know, <laughs> I can't do a gay real burn, so it's just become Arnie. So. Right? Yeah. So she she decides to stay. All this feels too real to her, even though she does appreciate JC's help. She feels she's in better hands with the church. And when he goes back to his apartment, that's when Gabriel Byrne goes well, first, night. <laughs> while they're there, there's a lot of the exposition dump about, like, oh, Oh, the 11 is... p.m. and all that stuff, yeah. The 666 equals 999 is the biggest load of bullshit in the fucking world. The time period during which that was seen... None of the numbering systems would have had that mistake happen. <laughs> and a lot of the older translations just wrote it out. <laughs> so that's like pure movie. And yeah, basically it wouldn't have made sense to have it upside down and backwards or whatever. It, no. Somebody would have been like either, oh, those are weird markings. Or if they were smart, they're like, oh, it's like in a mirror. And now I can read it like Red Rum, except it's a fucking year. <laughs> exactly. Or a number. Not even a year. So, Well, you're right. He explains all that in the expo, right? Her role, essentially, the time. And Arnie's still like, this shit sounds whack as fuck. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Yeah, this entire time he's turning to Christine. He's like, come with me if you want to live. <laughs> yeah, basically. <laughs> I mean, that's what he's telling her, isn't he? There are a lot of those kind of references, like I said, because of James Cameron. So Mm -hmm. I think there's three they make note of. Anyway, what transpires after that expo dump, like you were saying, when she decides she wants to stay, Lucifer comes visits JC at his apartment. Jericho, that is. And he gives the illusion of his family. And what he's doing is he's, this is, to me, after watching it, knowing a little bit about this shit, is like, oh, this is like the temptation of Christ, right? He's offering his family back. This entire scene, when he makes Arnold relive his family's death, upon rewatch, it makes that scene 
right before this with Rob and Tony turning him down, mm-hmm. more emotionally impactful yeah. the second time through once you know, because you realized he's like, that this is why Arnold is willing to keep doing this without pay as Bobby Chicago keeps bringing up mm-hmm. is because he wasn't able to be there to save someone first time through. He has the chance this time. So yeah, exactly. So and he doesn't want to give that up. And so he's really hurt when she turns him down. And yeah, that I mean, scene right beforehand is, it's a lot more impactful once you know what this scene is. Yeah. It does give you like a, a little bit of a gut punch because you're right for him. It's like, he's like letting another person down to him. So there's this emotional bond, and Lucifer's using that against him. Right? He's like, yeah, you can be with your family. You just give me the address of where the stranger's at. Mm-hmm. And, you know, Arnie ain't having that shit either. He's like, I'm tired of both sides of this fucking coin. <laughs> I, love, I love as he's uh, trying to stop his family getting killed, that even though he's phasing through the rest of the fake shit, Lucifer still has him hit the fake tree. <laughs> <laughs> it's funny. <laughs> I mean, there's a lot of stuff that he does, like the way he jumps and shit. It foreshadows a lot of things to come. Mm-hmm. You know, it's like, uh, they're kind of overdoing this a little bit with him jumping after people and missing. <laughs> he does that a lot in this film. Mm-hmm. <laughs> but, this all leads to the best part, though, when he resists uh, the temptation. Yeah, exactly. You know, after he turns down the offer. I mean, JC, this is the devil tempting him. That's all I could think of, right? He's like... Right. It's the bad fruit, all this other shit. This is, yeah, this offering him the the earth. Yeah. Arnie tells him, he's like, all I want is for you to go to hell. And he's like, this is what I thought was kind of a badass line from Gabriel Byrne. He's like, well, he lifts him up. He's like, sometimes hell comes to you. <laughs> and then he should ignites him. And uh, Arnie gets him pretty good now. Well, we skipped over Arnie's best line in this entire movie. Oh, in between all those scenes. What? Oh, man. I think I said it earlier on in the week, too, because that shit was so silly. What he tells him, he's like, You're a fucking choir boy compared to me. A choir boy. <laughs> oh, my God. Fucking choir boy. I couldn't stop giggling when I heard that line. Because if you're familiar with those soundboards that you could use to make prank calls and shit, whether it's Stallone mm-hmm. or an R.K. Schwarzenegger, it's like that was one of the lines that you could use when you're pranking somebody. <laughs> That's amazing. You're fucking choir boy. Oh. Anyway, where were we? Oh, he's hanging. Suge Knight. Yeah, he's got Suge Knighted, which looked like it hurt like a motherfucker because of how he was having to hang on through that yeah. fucking glass. Oh, shit. That had me squirming a little bit just because I've, I mean, I've cut my fingers enough times. Oh, after you see the gash, too, it's like, yeah. oof. God. I'm... That's when I squirmed and I saw the gash. I was like, that was some of the better gore effects in this movie. He manages to pull a fucking Gabriel Byrne over. He takes a, a pretty cool-looking swan dive, to be honest. Yeah, onto that like SUV, whatever it was, down below. Arnie gets up. Kevin Pollock swings by. Yeah, you're like, damn, that was coincidental timing. Yeah, motherfucker. Goddamn Bobby Chicago. Anyway. How does Arnie confirm that it's really him? Oh, <laughs> I forgot about that. You fucking shoot some. That was, how did I forget about that? Oh, that Flanks was... him a little bit. <laughs> oh, fuck. What's he tell him? It's a fucking scratch. Yeah, then stop being a pussy. <laughs> it's a scratch. It's like, yeah, it's really me. What the fuck? <laughs> All right. So this is what their plan is because they learned that they need to go to St. John's in an hour because of all the shit with Christine. They know that Satan, Lucifer, wants to go to the church finder. And so that's what they do. 
So when that happens, that cutscene in between. I kind of appreciated that in this movie that he might be Satan, but there's a fucking timer to this. Yeah, there's shit has to happen. All they have to do is fucking run out the clock. They don't even have to beat him. They run out the clock. Yeah. He can't get the fucking thing done in time. Doesn't matter. Right, he only has an hour window. Mm-hmm. <laughs> That's They just need to bypass that. Yeah. He's got to hope that when he gets to it, he's a fucking one-pump chump. <laughs> <laughs> just, yeah, dump my load of information on you. He's got to be ready to go, because he's running up against the second by the end of the movie. You know what I mean? Like, yeah. He's got to be ready to be like, oh, done. <laughs> yeah, that's good. <laughs> All right, uh, let's see. What I like, once again, is the Vatican Knights. These suckers are trying to put the hit out on her again in the church. <laughs> Arnold stops it by shooting the blade, which was cool. Then he shoots a dude in the hand, fucks him up pretty good. Well, the cardinal was in on it? Because uh, the father was all about protecting her, but... Right, so the Pope and Father Kovac, they were all, like, faith-based, right? It was some of the cardinals. It was different cardinals, but there was, like, a sect... They considered like themselves the knights, where they were going to get rid of her once they find, just to put it all to an end. Your eminence. <laughs> right? Arnie fucks that all up for them. It seems like right when he rescues her, there's that rumble in the church, and that's when Lucifer appears and mm. starts yanking sons up there. Right? And the whole time, he's kind of like telling Christine this is her fate or whatnot. He's basically telling her, like, you know. They're going to be hooking up soon. <laughs> and uh, they escape out to the alley. And that's when Arnie starts to get hit with baseball bats. And Kevin Pollock seems to save the day. This is when we learn that there is a ridiculous amount of Satanists in this movie. There's a lot of Satanists, right? They're fucking Either up Either that or Satan is now powerful enough that he's just enthralling a shit ton of homeless people. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, I mean, I will say this. In New York City... They had a 20-year head start on a lot of people. On Satanists or homeless people? Well, both. (laughs) Well, they knew that she was in New York, Christine, that is. So it gave them time to form a club. Like, we know the end of days are coming. That's true. So they had 20 years to build it up. They've just been moving people in. Yeah. So they just like, hey, 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 we need you Well, she was even living in a Satanist. So what the fuck is that? That's some uh, Rosemary's Baby shit. (laughs) Well, no, how? what the fuck is that that she has... Her fucking adopted mother has those fucking Satanist books on display, and Christine is so fucking naive as to all the bullshit that's going on. She just looks because just... JC goes in there and he's like, "Oh, what's this?" <laughs> She's like, "I don't know. That's my stepmother shit." She's like, "I'm just trying to live my best life." <laughs> I'm over here doing yoga and shit. I know. I was learning Italian with my headphones on. Cleansing my chakras. Yeah, all that stuff, right? Just living her New York City life. Fuck, where we're... All right, so what... what it, it, they're in the alley, and this oh, is where oh, all the yeah, Satanists are getting, at. Dude, Kevin Artie Pollock, gets fucked up. Yeah, I said it looks like Kevin Pollock looked like he's come to save the day. Like, it normally would happen. But what he's doing is trapping her. He trapped her in the car. He speeds off. Arnie gets ambushed. He does pretty well at first. I was like, is this going to be like Arnie beating up everybody? <laughs> no. But that's okay. He got his fill. Lucifer arrives. Well, at first they're taking him one-on-one, which is right. the stupid way. They, exactly, because he's fucking them up good. But once they start, you know, hitting him like gang mentality, they fuck him up good. They get him down. Lucifer shows up. I remember Arnie getting fucked up. I don't remember what happens next. So what they do I is, like I so said, they, they fuck him up. Christine's actually watching from the back of the car. I'm going to say Kevin that I was Pollock taking stopped. a bong rip right then, so. 
So all all he's doing is basically like telling him he should have took the offer when he had the chance. And then he kicks Arnie like soccer style into this building, <laughs> fucks, fucks him up. They string him up. They crucify him. Oh, that's when they crucify him. That's right. 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 Okay. And then that's when Lucifer gets into the notes. car with Kevin I, Pollock. And I her. had that here. I just can't read my own fucking handwriting. So I put down a little bit of trivia because I wanted to talk about this. I thought this was really neat. So in that scene, on the day of shooting for that crucifixion scene with mm-hmm. Schwarzenegger, his youngest daughter actually was on set. The family visited. And in his, I guess his autobiography, it's called Total Recall, there's a picture of his youngest daughter visiting him while he's crucified. And he's, I guess he's kind of like explaining to her how they're doing this and setting up the shot and all that stuff. So it doesn't look as you know gruesome, per se, as mm-hmm. the overall shot. It's just kind of like the stage shot of it. She's seeing that. Yeah, which is kind of neat. So um, just a little insight. Bringing up Total Recall, this just little funny bit. Have you ever heard of what he does on his commentary track for Total Recall? Um, I may have, but I don't recall. He literally just tells you what's going on in every scene. <laughs> scene by scene. <laughs> That's awesome. He's just breaking down the film. <laughs> Not even breaking, just... And now I... He just walked into the room. <laughs> <laughs> so he's like literally telling you what's going yeah. on. Oh my god! I was like, maybe he's just talking about how all this shit was shot. No, is that man walking into the room? Oh, that's me. <laughs> and then I shoot everybody, and she has three tits. <laughs> what a character, man! He's awesome. Anyway, <laughs> all right. So we're getting close to the end of the film. Fast forward a little bit. Is now is December 31st, 1999, New Year's Eve. It's like 7 o'clock in the morning. So how much did you laugh at like the Y2K theme that runs through this movie? Yeah. Oh, yeah. Because they were pumping that shit out pretty hardcore and like advertisements, billboards, all that shit. But once again, it's a product of its time. So that was kind of the feeling a little bit. I won't say a little bit for a lot of media sensationalism (laughs) at the time. Anyway, I mean, I did always... Did you know anybody that freaked out Y2K style? Not hardcore, no. I mean, there were some people that were, like, a little to worry, but nothing, like, catastrophically worry, like, whatever. It's just, like, it might fuck some shit up, but... It happened, though. Mm-hmm. It was real fucking funny a few years ago. Oh, God. A fucking long time ago now. <laughs> uh, at my last job, when I used to work at Kmart that was here in town when we were shutting it down, I was one of the people hired on till the end, and... Part of that end part was just literally we we disassembled everything in the back rooms, all the shelving, everything else, because it was all sold and shipped off to different stores and shit, and at least all the shit that was usable, and it was kind of our job to try to make as much of it as usable as we could, so. Yeah. As we were ripping out everything in all of the old back rooms and shit, we were running into a bunch of, you know, old shit that was just shoved into fucking corners. And one of the things I remembered fucking finding that was hilarious was a fucking, like, business calculator that had apparently never been used. Like, it was bought for one of the offices and then thrown in a corner and something thrown on it and nobody ever fucking opened it up. (laughs) It just lost the time. But, so it was still in its packaging and it was Y2K compliant. Oh, that's funny. (laughs) That's awesome, dude. A little bit of history right there. And that would have been in, like... 
God, when did the store shut down? Like 2013, something like that. Oh, 2012. Wow. So damn, that thing's been hanging around for a bit. Yeah, it was fucking funny wow. as shit. That's pretty awesome, man. <laughs> it's funny shit like that because yeah, I was in high school when all that stuff was going on, and so I remember the feelings. But I never thought like, how can just two digits throw everything for a loop? I was a nerdy enough kid to know that like. A problem that fucking simple was already thought about a long time yeah, ago. Yeah, it's like, that doesn't make sense. Like, for me, like, I like I kind of knew better. Even back then, it's like, yeah. ah, this doesn't seem right. I do want to say that it did cause something like two errors. Yeah. Or at least, like, two major errors. Nothing catastrophic. But it wasn't like anything were... catastrophic. Yeah, yeah. I think a lot of that stuff is just, oh, this is a nice, clean, even number that we can put all kinds of shit on. We can project all kinds of weird stuff, prophecies and... <laughs> <laughs> misfortunes oh, and whatever man so long story short is now lucifer has the girl jericho gets saved by father kovac he finds him in the alley brings him down brings him back to his underground uh computer club mm-hmm. <laughs> gets him all fixed up the woman now who was the stigmata from earlier now she's all healed up because of faith and They've been translating what she says, and of course it's going according to prophecy, whatnot. Arnie goes back after all this. Like, he's cool. He's going to, he wants to go get her, but he arms up first. I was like, oh, "Oh, shit. (laughs) He gets fucking ready for action. Yeah, he does. It's like, all right. I like that, man. That, I think, might have been one of the few guns that wasn't a Glock. I want to say that was an HK, H&K. He did have, like, a submachine gun that was different. Mm -hmm. Yeah. It had modifications on it and stuff like that. Just With an underslung grenade launcher? I was like, man. <laughs> but what he does is he tracks them because he remembers a license plate, apparently. He's like, son of a bitches. <laughs> <laughs> and he goes and he finds them. And what he runs into, it's like Lucifer has Christine on the altar and all the Satanists are doing the little praise or whatever. And Marge recognizes Arnie. Right in the crowd. What the fuck, Marge? Right. She goes She goes after him, and he's like all sneaking and shit. And then she goes to pull the trigger on him, and there's like a little cutscene, and you hear multiple fires. She goes down, and then it's like, all right, Arnie's ready to go. <laughs> but uh, he takes her hostage. Like, he uh, he starts to blast Lucifer. I think that's, uh, mm-hmm. that's pretty neat. He blasts Lucifer. Then he blasts two dudes that came in trying to get her, that were holding her. He gets her, but he turns the tables and holds her hostage until Lucifer decides to bring out his former partner, Bobby Kevin Chicago, <laughs> right? Who uh, who's aiming the gun? They're doing the all that Mexican standoff shit. And then he's like, "I'm not going to do it." And so he's like, Lucifer's "Now I'm back like, it out." All right, then you're going to go back on fire. He's like, "Don't remember all the promises you made while you were burning." And then what a dick Bobby Chicago runs on fire right at his fucking friend. I was thinking that. I was like, damn, that is fucked up. Like, even while he's burning. What the fuck, Bobby Chicago? On fire is not the time to give your boy a hug. No. (laughs) I miss you, bro. (laughs) Gonna miss you. Well, what happens is they go back into the subway tunnels. This is uh, JC, Jericho, and Christine. And they escape from the Satanists. They hop on board because they. By the way, there's that CG cut. <laughs> by Dude, the way, we have to do at this point, that. this movie is like, how the fuck is this movie still going? Because this movie there's should not so have been. Much going this on. movie should not have been two hours. My first thought when we had to do this is like, oh shit, this is a two-hour movie. We talked about the time period, 1999, 
CG, you know, being used in film. My first thought was like, all right, this is a tall tale right here is uh, the train comes by and they duck. And I was like, oh, God, this looks so bad right now. <laughs> right. But then they get on and, you know, they tell the conductor to keep going. And eventually Lucifer is in the middle of the tracks. It looks like the conductor is going to slow down. Already, he's like, no, you run that motherfucker over. <laughs> and they do. Of course, all that shit gets played out. One of the coolest moments, once again, I think, is a conductor getting his heart ripped out oh, yeah. of his chest and then sucked out. I'm like, oh, that was yeah. that was pretty decent. But what Arnie decides to do is separate the cars. So uh, that plays out all like standard action movie style. Once the cars are separated and Lucifer shows back up, and he's kind of fucked up by this point. Yeah. But he's not as fucked up as he's about to be. That blast is so good. Because god damn it. <laughs> Gabriel Byrne does fucking Superman jump. Yeah. Some metric shit. Arnie hits that grenade launcher right into his fucking chest with apparently enough force to knock a grown Lucifer back. Yeah. All the way back. All the way back onto <laughs> that fucking train car and then boom. Yeah. Which I was Parts of the fucking train wreck look good because parts they definitely use miniatures and yeah, parts say, of those explosions looked really bad. Yeah. I agree with that, man. There's you know, because they're, they're doing those cuts where they have to insert <laughs> them actually on the carts and then the miniature models as it's passing by and explosions happening. But knowing that, it's like, I think they still did a pretty decent job, man. Like the people who created mm-hmm. the sequences and stuff, they had to measure certain things, get down in there in those tunnels and try to make it look as realistic as possible without being, you know, too obvious that these are miniatures. But mm-hmm. it was all right. The miniature work was good. Yeah, it wasn't bad. Satan's just like, so I just don't get to use Gabriel Byrne body anymore. Yeah. Fuck y'all. He pieces out. <laughs> yeah, he pieces out. And see, it looks like this is kind of fucked up too. It's like they make a clean escape. It looks like Jericho and Christine. And like, okay, everything's cool. They get to the church. Yeah, they escape to another church. Jericho has his come to Jesus moment, which yeah, is really Yeah, he's looking weird. at like all the iconography and the art. And he's like, oh, yeah, okay, everything's cool now. Help me, God. Give me strength. It's like, dude, you were Mr. Olympia like seven times. Are you talking about strength? (laughs) This is when Lucifer confronts him. Now he's like this gigantic, massive... Krom, help me. (laughs) He's like... What I thought was pretty cool, a little bit of this is neat too, is a lot of the effects that happen with like the pews, you know, when they're getting lifted up and he makes a trailer shot. Do you remember that from the trailer? The pews getting fucked with? Because I remember man, that from the trailer. I, I honestly can't remember. I may have, but like I said, it's been so long, man. But what I thought was neat, too, those were a lot of miniature shots, too. Mm. And they were using these kind of interesting miniature effects. They used like this um, conveyor belt where they had like this little, little bitty wooden piece that would just lift the mat underneath it to give that effect as it was going by. So a lot of the really stuff cool. that they were doing in the end sequence with the pews and Satan bursting they in. They built and... a model of the interior of the real church, right? Mm-hmm. I think it was like 20 feet tall and 45 feet long. Damn. Replica, right? Because they, like I said, for all that shit they wanted to pull off, they had to make it look as real as, as possible. What I thought was neat, too, is when they were doing like the window blowouts and the ceiling crumble and mm-hmm. shit. I mean, you can tell. <laughs> Some of the ceiling crumble kind of sucked. The window blowouts right. were good. Window blowouts were actually like cardboard. 
mm. that they were using in the the miniature. And they were using like air tank compressors just to blow them out. So they would make cuts to look, make it look like those, uh, the window panes mm-hmm. and whatnot. Mm-hmm. Yeah, so it was kind of neat seeing all that shit. All of that shit looked, I thought they did an amazing job. That all looked really good. Yeah, and it was not bad at all. Yeah. The biggest problem, once again, I have <laughs> is with the cinematographer <laughs> sort of just resorting to showing all of this happening with like a Star Trek shaking of the camera. Oh my god, dude. Yeah. He's <laughs> he's up mouths. I think there's better ways to show what's going on. Even if it's supposed to also be an earthquake going. You know what I mean? Right. Like the effects, yeah, I know what you're saying. He didn't highlight the intensity of the situation. And I think the effects were doing their job. I think the effects were all on point. I think it falls to how they were being shown. Yeah, it's <laughs> There were some decisions where I... I and I can't say I, like, I can do better. Just, uh, it, it didn't yeah. have me on the edge of my seat at all. I was just like, oh, that looked good. Oh, yeah, that looked good. Yeah. Oh, look, it looks uh, like it's falling apart real well. Not that we'll live to see it. I mean, it'd be cool if we do, but I doubt it. But it would still like... This. No, <laughs> no, it'd be like, it'd be kind of neat to kind Marcus of step back. spells. <laughs> no, just to go back to 1999, just remember like that feeling for films like these and then actually going to see it in the theater. And... Try to see it from that point of view because it's hard to remember that shit like 21 years mm-hmm. ago. So it's like, man, I, I honestly don't remember it too much. It wasn't really on my radar, especially after we were like going through those films. It was like, yeah, there was a lot more shit on my radar during that time period. But anyway, what I'm getting at is some of these things are kind of dated. This effect is not bad. The creature is pretty decent. Creature's all right. Yeah. the if- I'm I mean, glad they didn't show up for long. What I saw... A little bit of that behind the scenes is they built an actual model that looked pretty cool for you know Lucifer as the winged beast. Mm-hmm. Yeah, the winged beast, and uh, I was like, it's kind of cool. They were doing like just making sure it had movements right, and then they could only build it so tall to make it look realistic. And of course, they enhanced it with CG. So some of the practical looked good. Mm. The CG was like, eh, mm-hmm. eh. but what it amounts to is it possesses Arnie. And some of the funniest shit, too, once again, in this film, <laughs> with how he gets possessed. I wish when he's up against the thing and it sort of, like, does a little bit of body horror type shit on his face, I wish he would have just stayed looking like that while possessed. Yeah. I, I kind of feel like that might have been studio interference because they were spending $100 million uh, on this movie and point. they want to keep Arnie looking like Arnie. So you get that for a second to show that he's now possessed, but you don't get to continue showing him like that. I, like, I could see that being, like, something Sam Raimi would do well Mm -hmm. and they leaned a little bit into like total recall a little bit with that but not all the way like i think you're probably right with the the studio and now he's the rapinator (laughs) he really is like he's like yeah we won and they get up and he holds her hand a little too long and then that's when you know shit ain't right yeah and he does he turns into rapinator come with me if you want to get boned But no, no, what it is is Lucifer has taken his body. He's still going to fulfill the prophecy. There's still time. It's on the cusp of midnight. And Arnie, once he starts looking around, he's still inside himself, right? He's like, uh, run. And uh, she does. And then he, he looks back after seeing all this. And he's like, I was going to stick you and I'll stick myself. Someone's going to get the fuck regardless. <laughs> and that's when he does it's that. He's going to get up in these guts. He does. <laughs> He does that Superman launch, right? That's been going on this entire film if you watch the action sequences, right? Doesn't mean, like, 
it starts he, he to was prophecy. Getting a it's, lot of yeah, a lot of uh, practice, a lot for... of lift. <laughs> but he does. He impels himself, and I won't miss this time. I got it. <laughs> Once he does that, and it just so happens to happen at the stroke of midnight, is it releases Lucifer. Lucifer apparently goes back to hell, at, but not before he does like this fiery like motherfucker, <laughs> you know, <laughs> shit like that. And what I was gonna say is like some of the um, biblical references is what she does. Christine, she's witnessing it as she goes by and like holds his hand and. You know, she thanks him and shit. I was like, I wonder how much they're leaning into, like, the Mary Magdalena character, perhaps. Mm. You know, that was just my take on it a little bit. I don't want to say that throughout the entire film, there's certain things, like, with the apple, when they both start to see, like, the trippy moment. Mm-hmm. I was like, ah, uh, that's kind of like the forbidden fruit and a little bit of Hieronymus Bosch kind of shit going on in that. Now I get to be with my family again. Yeah, it's like... I. This movie has some pretty decent shit going on. Of course, it's playing on the allegory of all these different stories, biblical-wise. But not bad. I mean, I know they talked about with test audiences, they gave him two different endings where he actually lives as opposed to dying and whatnot. And it tested better with him dying. And I think it fits better, too, with like the way things get played out. How would he have lived? I, I don't fucking know, man. Like... Maybe some kind of divine intervention. He gets hit by like some sunlight in the forehead, and yeah, was gone. He gets shielded and gets his wings away. <laughs> Who knows? He's an angel now. Devil away. I know, Aven. I know. He's an angel. <laughs> Artie's an angel. <laughs> but I don't know. I don't know. But it tested better with his death, and I think it it fits for what was going on. But I'm thinking, man, Christine's, she's seen some shit now. Like, she's really fucked. (laughs) Knowing that she was marked to get fucked by Lucifer, she has dreams about it. There's weird dudes approaching her about it. She sees this face-off between JC (laughs) and Lucifer's like, man, that is trippy. Who the fuck is going to believe you when you tell that story? So part of the implication of her character is that she's still a virgin at this point right i hope so is she now like i'm gonna go get real fucked just in case (laughs) (laughs) that's the next logical explanation in my book just in case i'm about to go get real fucked because then i can't be a virgin sacrifice yeah i know so does that mean like there's another thousand years and why is it a thousand years that doesn't make much sense i mean there are some plot holes there's a lot of things i would argue about the time frames in this film I actually read the Roger Ebert review from this time period, and it's funny because both these movies did come out in 1999, (laughs) and he, in his review of this movie, which he gave a terrible review for, actually was like, why is the Catholic League going after a funny little comedy like Dogma and not this piece of trash? (laughs) (laughs) That's so funny. I don't know. Maybe they they saw them getting exposed with that, those computers down there. Like, ooh, ooh, we're gonna lay off this one. I mean, Catholic <laughs> League must much. have been fucking busy in '99. Dogma, Stigmata. Damn, yeah. End of days. We need to do Stigmata sometime. I I I'm remember totally liking that. that one a lot more than this one. And I I will say I'm a lot more familiar with Stigmata than I am End of Days. But now, with that being said. I've seen this movie at least twice, I know for sure. I'm not disappointed that I watched it because there was more things I gleaned from it because I was paying attention. I mean, I already knew that they were leaning into like biblical references and whatnot. And 
grown up around it, and we've talked about it several times on this show too with your familiarities. Like, we understand that kind of shit, you know? It's nothing really new to us, but it's cool seeing Arnie in a somewhat horror film, seeing Robin Tunney again, Udo Kier, some uh, other faces, Kevin Pollock again. Some of the older gentlemen we talked about, too, gave pretty decent performances. Like, the guy who played Father Kovac did pretty well. Mm-hmm. And things of that nature. So, what I got out of it, and I think we already said, was this film is not as bad, I think, as people tend to make it out to be. Uh, it's, it's hard just for me not to, that great. Yeah, it's like, it's still hard for me to believe it made that much money. But, I mean, kudos to it for doing that in the first place. Not just that much money, but that much money as an R movie. Ooh. I, yeah, yeah, no doubt, man. Well, you said top PG thirteen. That makes more sense, right? But yeah, for an R, that's a lot of dough. I mean, you slap Schwarzenegger on it, you're going to get some appeal already, international appeal too. But yeah, what I got from it too is like, oh, it's now fine. I know where the reference uh, Choir Boy comes from. <laughs> that's cemented now in my lexicon. Nice. Yeah, no, it's like I said, I'd give it like a. Yeah, and I think for me, like, I'd still say somewhere in the sixes. Like, fair enough, it's somewhere in the sixes. I liked it fine. It's just nothing super special. Nah, I would recommend it to people who like Arnold Schwarzenegger and some of the people we mentioned in the film. And if you're not offended by some of the religious themes in this film, I think you'll have a pretty decent time with it. If you want to see Gabriel Byrne in a three-way. Dude, like I said, Gabriel Byrne does a really good job. I mean... I know I said Peter Gabriel earlier, but I mean, <laughs> I mean that would have been cool too. That would have been a whole different take. But so that's the end of End of Days. Mm-hmm. What's next week? You have this picked out. Ooh, so this is a little indie film that I've been sitting on for a while. There's one other person I've showed it to up here in Montana, and I was like, all right, it's on Prime. I don't know how often we'll be able to talk about it, but the film I'm bringing up is a little film called Katie Bird. He's certifiable crazy person. And um, I'm excited, man. I'm, I'm interested in seeing what you have to say about it. And like I said, it's one that doesn't get mentioned a lot. It was on a really cool indie distributor back in the mid-2000s, which we'll talk about a little mm-hmm. bit. Yeah, so I'm, I'm excited about this episode. Hell yeah, I'm excited to see how this plays out. I know Jeff was excited that I was going to see it. So Yeah, he's the only other person who's seen it with me. Oh, Fucking hit subscribe however you're listening to us yeah, right now. That'd be button. awesome. If there's any way for you to rate and review us, that would be awesome. Helps us get into the algorithm so that more people learn about the show. Tell people about the show. That would be awesome, too. It's really easy to find us. You can always just hit up www.friedsquirms.com. Over there, you can hit through all of our old episodes through the archive. Or up at the top, follow the links. We are part of the Earworm Podcast Network. You can listen to me over on General Nerdery. Danny on a future project that's yet to come. We're just going to have more content dropping throughout the year as we're going to expand pretty quickly. So it's fun. Also, you can always just go to earworm.com. That's E-A-R-V-V-Y-R-M.com just to check out everything from all the podcasts. And that'll get updated pretty regularly. So Yeah, no doubt. Once again, like I said, if you have movie suggestions or recommendations, let us know. If you're an indie filmmaker, need somebody to help you out with uh, promoting a film in terms of reviews, let us know. We're always up for the challenge. You can contact us through the website or by emailing us, squirmcast at gmail.com. Search for us, Fried Squirms, across all the social medias. We're there. It'll come up. I'm not going to tell you at this, at that legit if you just type in fried squirms like it comes up i've tried it so i think that's all i got though i'm tyler i'm a choir boy (laughs) fried squirms out out
Freiheitsgurms out. Auf. <lacht>